The Performance Lab podcast would like to acknowledge that the land on which we learn and work is the land of the Lenape, Wappinger, and Munsee people. The Performance Lab podcast is invested in the sharing of knowledge and cultivation of curiosity between makers. We invite guest artists to lead a workshop with the MFA candidates of Sarah Lawrence College, after which we interview them. We ask questions tailored to their individual practice, delving deeper into the how and the why of creation. Inspiration is all around us, but how do we hone in on the subjects that drive us? They share with us their tips, tricks, and sources of inspiration. Reflect on past performances slash projects. And keep us up to date on what is next. Stay tuned for the Performance Lab Podcast. Hi there. Welcome to the Performance Lab Podcast. My name is Anne, and I'm a second-year grad at Sarah Lawrence College. And my name is Kyrie, and I'm a first-year grad at Sarah Lawrence College. And today we have with us director Lee Silverman. Hi. <laughs> um, would you mind giving us a little summary of the workshop that you gave us yesterday? Sure. So I um, was talking about directing, um, my area of expertise, as you said, and um, primarily my work um, on new plays, which um, has been my kind of niche of directing. Um, and um, we talked about uh, collaboration and the kind of craft of directing, but specifically through the lens of the craft of collaboration. And as part of the class, I had uh, five panelists drop in from different disciplines and talk about um, how they worked with directors, what they felt like directors did from what collaboration meant and how it worked and when it worked best. Um, and then we talked a little bit more brass tacks about um, experiences uh, that I've had and that the class had with, um, with collaboration. And it was really great to have you. Thank you so much for everything that you did yesterday. It was really, really wonderful. Okay. Um, and you did talk a lot yesterday about your affinity for working with playwrights um, and you've just mentioned it again now. Can you talk a little bit about why you felt so connected to that work specifically and what fueled you in that direction as a director? Sure. I, I think theater is always, you're always sort of groping around in the dark looking for the experience that's going to be interesting, new, exciting, unique, strange. And on new plays, it's like you're groping around in the dark, but also you're kind of in free fall, like there's no floor. And uh, it, it always felt to me like that was the experience that I was after, partly, I guess, the, the kind of um, excitement of the free fall, but also really the, the working with a, a writer. I, I, I think I never totally trusted or believed in, certainly as a as a younger director, my own vision of something. So I could pick up Romeo and Juliet and I could do my version, but I, I, I just never felt like that was as interesting to me as being with a writer and trying to make something new. And that I understood what my job was as a director and I was in concert with a writer. I, I, I understand it less when it's all about me and in a way, I think that speaks somewhat to my personality, but also a little bit, I, I just am less interested in myself than I am in uh, really good writing. I mean, nothing kind of turns me on like good writing and that fires my own sense of creativity. And I'm sure you can argue that 
good writing exists, you know, not just in the new play form, but, right. but for me, it's the, it's the conversation about what we're making that really fuels me and that makes me feel like I understand what my job is best. And, and I, I have done revivals. I've done plays that are already written classics. And, and I, that's a very different thing because you're really, it's all about your vision and what you're bringing to something. And I think for many directors, that is the only way to go. For me, I'm, I'm just, uh, I can do it and I do do it and I am excited about it. And there are certain plays. I have a revival right now that I'm planning and, you know, I'm, but, but they're few and far between because I don't, not a lot of them kind of get me going the way that working with new new plays and with new writers does. Yeah, and I think that working with new plays, you get to work on a lot of different varieties of, uh, of stories and themes. Um, I even just, I saw two of your shows just in this year that were so vastly different from each other, um, Grand Horizons and Tumacho, which are thematically and stylistically and aesthetically just like polar opposites how do you approach a work how different works like that when you're i assume you would be working on some of the research and doing um the pre-planning around the same time how do you balance those two uh spaces i mean i think in a way the job is always the same and in a way, the job is never the same. So no matter what kind of show I'm working on, musical, play, solo play, um, comedy, drama, figuring out what the story is and how you're going to tell the story is key. Understanding the work, um, understanding um, how is the work going to get across the best. Um, I mean, what's interesting about the two examples that you say is that, I mean, they were both comedies and they were comedies in very different senses mm -hmm. and you know but you approach it with the same serious-minded inquiry um no matter what and also you approach it with the same sense of what is the world of the play what is the um and frequently it's just that the process is different because you have different um there are different markers along the way um and different challenges along the way so grand horizons was um, a brand new play that um, Bess and I, who had been collaborators six years ago, uh, directed her um, first play in New York, American Hero. And this play was one that premiered at Williamstown um, earlier in the summer. And so then four months later, we were there back in rehearsal with a new draft, a most, almost entirely new cast. And, um, and we were doing it on Broadway. And so the kind of sense of what the play was, it, it's like I kind of knew it, but I, I hadn't, we didn't have a ton of development work on it. And um, the, we really started with not only a new cast, but a, a very new draft from Williamstown. Um, and, and with Tumacho, that was a play that um, Ethan and I had been developing for years. Um, we had done just millions of readings of, um, we did it uh, in the summer of 2016, for yeah, you had another full production of it. Summer works, right. yeah. Yes. yeah. And yeah. and in that this so so Tumacho was really a remount um, with half of a new cast, but a very similar production, the same set, mm -hmm. um, the same costumes, and and uh, and you know really the difference in that was that the world had changed since 2016, 
And so how things landed was really different. And so the work that we did on it was actually tonally so that it didn't feel out of step with where we were. Um, that, that play was very much a, a metaphor allegory for where we were politically in 2016, the summer of 2016 before the election. And, um, and it's interesting, you know, that, that which is, you know, it's just the dumbest, funnest <laughs> Muppet show of a, of a show. And it's really, uh, you know, this kind of Western apocalyptical allegory about the end of the world, which of course we were running when the pandemic hit. So it started to feel like Too Macho actually became like a kind of weird, um, you know, apocalypse uh, show uh, just for the, just, ju just in time for literally what yeah. feels like the end of the world. So um, it, was a, it was strange. <laughs> I bet. And I know, I'm sorry that I know that it closed. It's too bad. I think I wish a lot of more people had been able to see it. It was really yeah, a lot of fun. Thanks. You did mention very briefly the set for Tumacho didn't change very much from the uh, Summer Works production to this remount. Um, I'd love to hear you talk about that a little bit because I, you know, you walk into this space and you're just immediately in the environment. And I think that depending on the you have different abilities in terms of what you can transform, whether you only have control over the set uh, and the stage space, or in this case where you have kind of the, the freedom to expand the theatrical experience right to the front door of the theater. How do you make a decision like that? Um, where it, does it, did it in this case come from the set designer? I believe it was David Zinn mm -hmm. uh, for that one. Or is that something that you would have decided or wanted to make sure that the environment is something more than just the play itself? I mean, most of Tumacho takes place in this cantina, the saloon. And um, it was very important to us that uh, in Summer Works and also in this, in this remount that from the second you walk in, you feel like you're kind of at a dry, dusty Western Mm -hmm. saloon and and particularly when we did it the first time it was the summer so the heat was not a problem this time we were doing it in february it was freezing so we wanted to feel like when you walked in you were immediately like inside of a kind of western sunset um kind of vibe and it it just felt really important for that show first of all it's definitely a show where you want to drink um i mean i will say i'm not <laughs> like a real there, there haven't been a lot of shows that I have felt that way about. I've done a few of them where I have just, just a few where I really feel like from the moment an audience walks in, they should be greeted with the kind of like uh, vibe of what the show is going to be. Um, and, and definitely with Too Macho, it's so, there's a, there's a real, um, like a like I, the the way we always talked about it is that we always wanted to be on the right side of stupid, and it, it's like that. It, it just required a, a different ease for people when they moved into the theater space, and what we felt like that was, you know, offering them drinks, having people wearing bandanas, like putting a bunch of, like weird ass taxidermy everywhere, um, you know, barrels, um, uh, big big barrels for them to sit their drinks on. Um, uh, end of um, playlist going in the background of um, music that influenced Ethan's writing of the show, a lot of Johnny Cash and that kind of thing, um, just to put people in the, in the right, um, you know, 
feeling. And, 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 you know, I think it's always the thing about New York, certainly before pre pre pandemic in our old lives where, you know, you just never sort of from the moment people enter a space, it's like, they've just ridden the subway. They've just gotten off the bus. They've just hustled to get across town. They've just walked into the space. They have a million things going on. They have their phones going on. So it's like, how quickly can you pull people into your world? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and sometimes it's, it's not possible until they sit down in the seat, but that's where things like, you know, pre-show music, um, what people are looking at, um, all that stuff, because you're trying to like give them a portal to then enter the frame of mind that you want them in at the top of the show. And sometimes you don't want them in any frame of mind and you're just like, boom, blackout, lights up. And it's like the, the, the impact of what happens at the top of the show. And so really you have to think about you know, how do you want people entering your world? And sometimes you want it violent and sometimes you want it soft and sometimes you want it to feel like people are part of it. Um, so it's, a, it's always a question um, that, I, that I think very carefully about with the designers. Um, then I wanna kind of switch directions over back to collaboration, which is mostly what you focused on in your workshop. Um, you brought in a lot of different uh, really amazing women that you've worked with in the past. And I'd love to hear about how you formed those relationships, where, where you first encountered those uh, artists and how you began to develop your uh, work with them. Sure. So um, um, I'll start with Shayna Taub. She's um, a composer, actress, lyricist. She's somebody who um, I was introduced to about six years ago um uh somebody said to me you're gonna love this woman she's playing at joe's pub come hear her show i was like yeah 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 whatever i went to see the show i was smitten like uh, just instantly with her talent her charm her voice i just was like she is the real deal she was at the time performing in a show that ars nova was producing um called the great comet and then she was um in that production um, uh, in, in many subsequent remounts of that show and then ultimately didn't do it on Broadway because she was performing in um, a show called Old Hats with Bill Irwin um, uh, that was uh, touring around, had been at the Signature and then was in San Francisco. And she was uh, in it and playing music in it. and. Um, and she had been commissioned by this, this friend who took me to her concert um, to write a musical about the suffrage movement. Um, and the idea was that the centennial was in 2020 and that would coincide with our 2020 election. And that, um, of course, at the time it was 2014, we had no idea how a 2020 election would actually turn out to be. Mm -hmm. um, but but um, this woman, Rachel Sussman com commissioned her to um, write a musical about the suffrage movement. And we started to work on it um, at that time. And it's been a six year collaboration. And um, uh, it, it, they both, uh, I, I, all three of us have been through quite, quite a bit um, in our own lives and in our careers. And Jaina's done some incredible pieces of theater um, that she's written. Um, uh, mostly at, seen at the Delacorte um, in her um, versions of uh, Twelfth Night and Much Ado About Nothing that she musicalized. And um, she's now writing um, 
uh, lyrics for Elton John for the Devil Wears Prada musical, and she's she's really um, exploded on the scene. And and we um, have been working very hard on the Suffrage musical. We will see when it ends up actually premiering, given the state of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a story that I mean, I for sure would have loved to know. Um, was never taught in school. No one knows anything yeah. about the women's suffrage movement and um, the people who are involved. And uh, so we've been working very, very um, deeply on it. Rachel has remained a commercial producer with, um, she's joined forces with um, another commercial producer, Jill Furman, and they've joined forces with the public. And so we've been deep in process on that. Um, uh, and and I, you know, I love collaborating with Shana and um, she's a real... Um, just tap bomb. Um, so for me, this collaboration, the, the, I just was on the phone with her since 1030 this morning. I mean, we just talk endlessly about the, the project and where mm-hmm. the characters and how to really turn something that is a piece of very important history. So unlike something like Hamilton, where people know who those people were, mm-hmm. um, you know, nobody knows anyone in the suffrage movement. Like people could say like Susan B. Anthony, no one knows that Susan B. Anthony died 40 years before the amendment passed. You know, nobody knows really the story of how long people were fighting for it and the people involved and what happened in, in 1920. It's, it's tricky because you want to be true to who those women were, but also you can't really extrapolate in the same way. Um, so, and also not to make it a boring historical musical where people have to t- take their medicine to learn the history. So it's a very, it's a very um, exciting and challenging project. Yeah, um, like Rachel Houck, set designer. Um, Rachel and I have done, I mean, probably more than 20 shows together. I've definitely lost count. Um, she's an amazing, amazing set designer. We're working on a project right now um, that uh, again, was supposed to happen at the Goodman this winter. I don't know exactly when it's going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. uh, called Goodnight Oscar Levant about um, a very famous personality named Oscar Levant uh, that uh, Sean Hayes is going to play. And it's a really interesting set design. It's a real time show that takes place backstage at the Tonight Show. Um, and so it has a real mix of period, but also not wanting to make it a museum piece. So that also has mm-hmm. a number of the same kind of challenges. And I just think Rachel is a really innovative thinker and Rachel more than almost any other set designer that I know, certainly that I work with thinks about the container of the space. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at some of her most recent designs, I would say Hades Town, which she just won the Tony for, but other mm-hmm. of her designs, she's always thinking about what is the feel of the room yeah. and um, Wrong Man, um, a show that she did at MCC this summer is another example. You know, she's just always thinking about that kind of thing. Um, and then Yuvika Tolini, who is an associate producer at The Public. Um, I did a show this year at The Public called Soft Power um, and Yuvika was very instrumental. Um, I also watch her deal with all the directors and all the artists that come through the public. And so I feel like she juggles more collaboration than anyone I know. Sorry about that. <laughs> no problem. So I've known and worked with Yuvika for a while. Um, Jen Colella and I first worked together in 2006. We've worked on many projects together. Um, Jen will also be in the Suffrage musical. Um, we've developed... Um, she was in a, a, a transfer of a show I did in 2006 called the Bebo Brinker Chronicles. Um, and 
I've worked with her a lot since then. I love working with her. She's a leader and she's inventive and she's creative and she is, she takes the craft of acting and not just like being a performer, but actually what it means to be in the room so seriously. Um, and I love that about her. And uh, Sid is a stage manager that I met in uh, 2007. She was the resident stage manager at Berkeley Rep. Um, and uh, we had a great time. She stage managed a number of things for me and no longer stage manages anything for me because um, she is my uh, life partner. So she is now uh, my, uh, not, she's my life collaborator as opposed to my actual collaborator. And now I refuse to work with her because that would be terrible. Um, so, uh, but she's a really great stage manager and was in the middle of doing the Lehman trilogy, um, which was in previews on Broadway when the mm -hmm. pandemic hit. So I, you did mention that you were working with Shana on the suffrage movement musical. Is there anything else that you're working on right now that you can, are able to share? A little detail on and if you know when those will be able I to don't be know seen. about when anything will ever be able to be seen but I can tell you we're working on um, I have um, the suffrage musical which I'm very excited about I did mm -hmm. a play uh, two years ago called Harry Clark that Billy Crudup was in we're planning another production of that don't know when that will happen mm -hmm. now um, this new play by Doug Wright which is called um, uh, Good Night Oscar Levant um, that hopefully is happening at the Goodman sometime with Sean Hayes. I'm very excited about that and I love Doug Wright. He's an incredible, incredible playwright. Mm -hmm. um, you guys had just had him, right? Yeah, he, was, he, he also he came. Well. Yeah, yeah, yeah great. He's a, he's a dream bomb. Um, <laughs> and um, I'm trying to, I was in the middle of working on um, a revival of The Full Monty, which I am very passionate about doing. Um, Terrence passed away um, not that long ago, just, just, mm -hmm. a, just a month now, um, which um, I, I'm not sure exactly what, what that will mean for our show. And I, I was, you know, incredibly um, uh, moved by that show and I think it was really ahead of its time and um, would be worthwhile looking at now. I think you can draw a direct line from those angry out of work factory workers to the Trump administration. And um, it's, a, it's really a show of this moment. And I have another revival that I'm deep in on and um, which I can't really talk about. Yeah, you know, I'm sort of hoping that um, I, you know, I continue to hope that soft power will, will have more of a life. Um, mm -hmm. there, there were things that were in the works. We just had the album release um, yeah. two weeks ago. The music is incredible. The album, I'm so proud of the album. And, um, you know, 23 musicians, it's like a cast album, the way that like, I remember listening to cast albums when I was a yeah. kid. So I'm hoping yeah. there continues to be work on that. Yeah, and that's all available on the public's website, I believe. Yes, um, and the album is available on Ghostlight Records. It's really great. Yeah. And um, I've got a question, if you don't mind yeah, me jumping in. Um, please. Lee, you just listed so many um, projects that you're working on. And I think it's, it's absolutely incredible for someone to be working on, on so many things. Um, as a grad student, I just like my mind is completely taken <laughs> up by 
course after course after course, but how do you continue to keep your artistic well full and how do you, how do you fight against burnout or overwork with all of these projects that you're working on? It's a really good question. I mean, I um, will say that I was incredibly burnt out um, when I had been in rehearsal since August 28th. Um, when the pandemic hit, I, had, I was actually just about to be this whole time I, I, uh, in the spring, I had really set some time aside because I was so burnt out. And, um, and I think the burnout is real. I think um, much about directing is about plate spinning because you always have like the thing you're working on right now and the thing that is like a little bit in the pipeline and then a little bit further because of the development time. So you always have to have things that are coming in a way. Um, so you can't ever just be working on the thing that's in front of you. And um, time management um, is real. Figuring out how to multitask is real. Um, and it's necessary. I mean, I think financially, um, for many, many years, I, I had to do between five and seven shows a year to make a living. Um, some, you know, if it was a bigger show, I could do less, but, um, you know, you just don't make very much money directing plays in New York and not-for-profit theaters. And, um, and it's, it's, it's a life. And, um, I think that there's, um, a certain amount of, um, you know, I, I take a lot of pride in that I've made my living as a solely as a director for, for a little while now. And, um, and I, without sort of having to have other jobs and I, I think it's, it's, it's hard won in the sense that that happened because I did say yes to so many things. And, but I will also say that like being proactive about projects, um, thriving in that kind of like, okay, now I'm going to spend 10 minutes on this. All right. I'm going to send my lunch. I'm in the middle of rehearsal, but I'm going to spend my lunch break working on other thing. And then I'm an after dinner time meeting with this right. other thing. Like that's the gig. Mm -hmm. You know, I always tell who, um, want to assist me. Like, what else are you doing? Like, great. So you'll assist me on this show, but like what's happening. And if they say, Oh no, I'm just really going to work with you on this. I, I know right away they're actor because it has to be, a life's kind of lifestyle where you can enjoy and thrive from um, having many things going at once in different phases of development. Um, that, that in a way is a big part of the job. In your collaborations, obviously there are going to be uh, really positive experiences and some really negative experiences. Um, and you mentioned one experience recently where you found yourself as again, after many years of being able to age in this profession um, and gain experience, being again, the youngest person in a room. Um, and a lot of, uh, I know I'm going to be going out into the world uh, very soon and I'm very young and I look very young. And I think that's the experience that a lot of us are going to be having very soon. Um, do you have any tips or strategies that you use in those situations in order to maintain your authority in a room where you are definitely not the most experienced person um, in the room? It's so hard. I mean, look, I think <laughs> it's, it's, you know, men are, um, young men are looked at as, you know, um, 
oh, they have so much potential, um, whereas yeah. uh, women are looked at for their experience, right? So what experience do you have? Okay, we'll hire you, as opposed to those guys who it feels like, um, oh, like, they just did that one thing, like, imagine what they could do with a big budget, you know, and so, you know, that's just reality, right? Um, yeah. So not like burning on like a stake of, you know, um, rage is, is a big part of the challenge, you know, I think all the time. Um, also, understanding that how you're viewed and also staying true to who you are, not apologizing for it. Um, you know, I think as women, we are, um, we are taught a lot of things about how to be accommodating. Um, we're socialized um, in a very different way. And many of those ways are actually useful to directing. Um, and trying to turn the feelings that you have of um, insecurity into positives. Um, I think when I was a young director, I was like, well, you know, I'm going to wear boots every day because they make me feel like confident. And I'm going to, you know, do like there were just like little tricks that, that I tried. Some of them were useful. Some of them were bullshit. Some of them were just in my own mind. I, I think that it is hard to be a young woman. It is exponentially harder to be a young woman of color. It is um, difficult to be uh, starting out in any profession. Um, it is tenacity and it is um, determination that will get you through. And it is practice. So the thing that gives you confidence is practice. Because if you practice, you're gonna walk into a room feeling as prepared as you can be. And the question is, how do you get the practice before someone will actually hire you? So how do you make that happen for yourself so that you can practice, 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 you can be directing all the time so that when you have that opportunity, you're as confident as you can be. Um, and that is, that's, that's the part that's up to you because that requires, um, uh, uh, you know, calling your friends up. It, it requires um, talking about plays all the time with people who aren't looking to hire you so that when you're talking to someone who is looking to hire you, you feel good talking about plays. Mm -hmm. um, it's about giving yourself as much experience on your own um, so that you can walk in as prepared as you can be. And it's also knowing that it's going to take a long time. And I think that's the thing that um, I, I really always say, which is it's the long game. And if you think you're running a sprint, um, you're only setting yourself up for heartbreak and a sense of failure. And if you say, it's going to take me 10 years to ever get hired to do anything, that's really different than saying, I'm trying to get a job right next year, right out of school. And if you give yourself 10 years and you give yourself a sense of holistic expectation, then when you do get hired before 10 years, you're going to feel really good. And then if you say, okay, it's going to take 10 years, what are you going to do for 10 years? How are you going to use that? And I think that's like a, just a, it's kind of a different way to think about um, 
how you're going to use your time that isn't just full of, you know, self-loathing and panic about never getting a job. Thank you so much, Lee. I believe we are out of time. We've actually held you a couple minutes over. Oh, yeah. I apologize for that. Lee, thank you so much for joining us. And tune in next time for our next guest artist. The Performance Lab podcast was brought to you by Contemporary Performance Network in association with the Sarah Lawrence College Theater MFA program. For more information, please visit our websites at www.contemporaryperformance.com or www.slctheater.com.